construction Welcome back, listeners. I'm here with a gentleman who's as mysterious as he is intelligent, as provocative as he is tall. That's right. You know him, you love him. <laughs> Corey McHugh <laughs> is with us today. Hi, Corey. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so, Corey, I met in uh, level one of improv classes at Finest City Improv, and we've uh, been friends since then, along with others from that class, and uh, now we're on a team, Terra Squad, and just to kind of build you up or blow a little smoke into your, your little bunghole, uh, Corey is, I think most of all, a very smart dude, a dude that I, I don't know, I, I don't trust many people's opinions. I don't trust many people, like pretty much nobody. I, I don't trust. And so I, I do lots of research, you know, when I'm eating at restaurants or buying something from Amazon or, or buying something. I do comprehensive online research. I never trust any less than five sources because I just don't trust people. <clears throat> but I trust you and it's because, you know, we have a little Facebook a messenger chat uh, with all of our um, our friends from Improv from Terra Squad. And, you know, we get deep on there. We get personal. We share life stories and life questions and crises. And you always seem to give really, really good advice, advice that I would give myself personally. That's why I trust you because you're basically <laughs> a smarter version than me. Because, like, you, and, and you can articulate it a lot better than I can. So that's why I, um, I trust you. We'll put that to the test today. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, so you're a smart dude, talented dude. Uh, so thank you for coming on. So I like to talk about, well, I think I want to get into a lot of big time questions with you today, but let's just first dive into your little history there, Corey. I know you're from Chicago. Well, that's why I say at least. Yeah. From near Chicago. From near Chicago. You're from the greater Chicago area. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what brought you, or well, I, I guess what brought you out here to San Diego? When did you move? How old were you? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, it's actually a a pretty long story. I'll try to kind of keep it keep Please it tight. Keep it like um, ten seconds, twenty words or less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I knew I was in a rut there for a long time. Like I had my circle of friends there, like people that I've known literally since preschool in some cases, um, along with another circle of friends, which is like all the music and band friends and stuff. But for the most part, it just felt like everybody's doing the same thing year after year we're all just getting drunk at each other's places and kind of not moving forward with life and so, this was like college era after college yeah this was like mid-20s okay um so yeah post-college for me not necessarily post well no everybody is post-college there yeah I and mean, one of my friends has a master's degree and continued to be very much in that rut yeah um so, you know, I was always around smart people, but nobody was just doing anything that felt like with their life. Um, that's kind of harsh to say, but, you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I felt the same way about myself and just as much as projection, right? Uh, I was also really unsatisfied with my job at the time. Um, it was pretty toxic environment, pretty manipulative one that I felt like I was being taken advantage of for years just wanted to get away from along with the fact that i absolutely hate winter mm. uh i i can't stand it chicago winter yeah yeah chicago winter that's a mm -hmm. good distinction the windy city yeah i mean i always i grew up in the chicago area i went to school at u of i which is central illinois so basically the same winters and uh when you have to dig your car out of snow every morning it's a little tiring. Yeah. 
Um, so this was probably, I guess I was probably about 26, 27 uh, when I finally decided to move. I'd been talking about moving to Austin, actually, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a buddy out here who had a room for rent for cheap. And uh, <laughs> everything kind of just suddenly came to a head for me uh, one September where uh, I felt that my employer owed me a lot of money that he said he was going to pay me for the past nine months. Mm-hmm. And when I finally like made him sit down about it with our new GM, with our financial controller, uh, he weaseled out of it and yeah. said, we're not paying anybody uh, that money from last year and just spouted a whole bunch more lies that, you know, I had been aware of that. He's a chronic liar on yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that was on a Friday. I went home. I called my buddy who had a room for rent. I said, Hey, still cool. If I move out there, came back in on Monday and said, in 30 days, I'm moving to San Diego. You can consider this my 30 day notice. If you want to part ways. Otherwise I'll keep working for you remotely while I find a new job out there. Yeah. Packed everything up in my car, put everything else in storage and drove on out with my dog. Nice. So you were, uh, so you had a buddy out in San Diego. So that's why San Diego was a destination, a buddy from, uh, I mean, it has to be from Chicago, right? Like a high school buddy or what? Yeah. He was actually one of my best friends since like junior high, high school and, uh, actually through college too. Yeah. So I, I know <clears throat> about this uh, work uh, situation <laughs> that you had, and you were talking to us about it, uh-huh. and uh, it was a big headache. So here's something else I noticed about you, is that you're a giving person with, like, with your time. You, know, you, vo- you help bit- build a new FCI. Uh, you're volunteering your time a lot. You're a person who gives a lot, and I think... Th- this is just a new hypothesis that I came with in the last 20 seconds, which was you might be a person that's prone to getting taken advantage of. Is that a fair character characterization or not? Probably so. Have you been taken advantage of um, in the past before this job thing um, or screwed over in any way? Probably. Uh, <clears throat> almost definitely. Yeah. Nothing particularly comes to mind. Yeah. But okay. It's, it's that it's that kind of mixture of capability uh giving nature and then low self-worth sure. in that mix sure, too, sure, that sure, sure. just makes it easy yes yeah. okay well that's cool so before we get into uh, your your journey into improv i want i want to go back a little further and you can go as much into this journey as you wish but i'm curious to know about your childhood your home life because you're a fascinating dude you're very smart like i said and i, I wasn't lying about all this stuff because i think you're really um i don't know kind of a street smart type of dude as well as being uh book smart so i just want to know what your childhood was like how were you raised like what is your like what was your parents what was their parenting style in your view of course you're going to have it's a subjective you know because you're in it but Talk about your your home life, your family life growing up. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Where to begin? First of all, I'll start with saying my parents were great. I had great parents. Yeah. If you ever talk to me much, I mean, obviously, you know, I complain about them frequently. As uh, most children do. But that's more of a complaint about current them versus them raising me and my siblings. Yeah. I was the youngest of three. Okay. Uh, my dad's an engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom, after my brother was born, stopped working to to raise us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we grew up in a pretty nice area with a really good school system, and uh, I, my parents were kind of high achievers in that, where they had a lot of expectations for us, uh, whether it was uh, like when my brother and I were playing soccer they that basically consumed all of our free time like it's it was either school or soccer mm-hmm. um and and i was very happy up until about fifth grade or so when i was just in the normal classes and then one day they come home from like the parent teacher meeting and i was all worried of like oh i'm sure i got in trouble for something stupid i was always doing stupid shit mm-hmm. uh, they come home and they're like Corey. 
you've been sandbagging us. What's what's the deal? I'm like, I don't know what that word means. <laughs> and then after that, they put me in the smart kid classes. Yeah. At which point, life stopped becoming fun. Yeah. At the tender age of what, like ten? Yeah. Or something like that. Um. So uh, that was like the last opportunity that they put people in those classes uh-huh. where everybody else in them had been in them for a couple of years. Yeah. So they throw you in them when you're way behind on the curriculum and everything too. And then it's just a constant catch up from then on. But, you know, with uh, two older siblings, they were both in all the same classes and stuff too. Uh, but you didn't enjoy that experience of being in that like gifted and talented like what i mean how long were you in that track and what do you make of it i mean yeah i mean you didn't yeah. like it but yeah i mean that track like runs through junior high and then in high school you get to kind of like select the stuff that you go and of course i went into like all the advanced sciences and english and stuff and then eventually i finally dropped out of the advanced english stuff because at the time i hated writing yeah. um i was like oh cool math that's easy i can wrap my head around that um, it was constantly like this stress and pressure around it. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister did very well through all that stuff. My brother did criminally well through that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so then I had a kind of high bar set mm-hmm. in front of me right. and I just did not have that drive that either of them did. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted, I wanted to have a social life. I wanted to have fun right and instead i was basically in an environment of like literally and my, my sister reminded me of this um a few weeks ago we were raised with the mantra of do it right the first time so you don't have to do it again yeah which basically instilled this like chronic fear of failure mm. on everything too so you get put in this high stress situation of like you have to achieve in order to set yourself up for the rest of your life, you know, put that pressure on kids of being like, if you mess up now, you're not going to get into a good school and you're not going to get a good job. You're not going to have a future, but also be afraid of failure because just get it right the first time. And it's so counterproductive for actual learning and actually enjoying what you do. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about uh, parents is I, I feel like most parents are going to screw their kids up because <laughs> I, I, I don't know, because they're the only ones there for their entire childhood when their brain is being formed. But even things like these, your parents had good intentions to be sure, mm-hmm. but there's always, uh, you know, just it's always a double-edged sword and there's always un- unforeseen or just ignored consequences, this being that. So you had a high... Uh, pressure, high expectation type of uh, situation with your parents. And uh, yeah, that sounds like it, it didn't work out too well. It kind of sucked. Yeah. Well, it all, it, it all kind of burned me out and crumbled out eventually. Um, where, I mean, I, I at least made it through high school and all the advanced maths and sciences and stuff. Uh, putting in as little effort as possible. Sure, sure. Just getting by. Yeah. Um, but I dropped, like I said, I dropped out of like the advanced English and stuff. Anything that was outside of like the purview of like, oh, I guess I'll be an engineer. Let me just focus on that stuff. So, you know, I'd go to, to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for mechanical engineering um, and immediately jump in at like some 300 level uh, multivariable calculus class as a first semester freshman. Yeah. And it's like... You go from having everything structured in front of you to the freedom of college and then throw you in at a, you know, junior level uh, math class. It didn't go well. Mm. Like it really did not go well Um, to the point where by the end of my sophomore year, I think I actually got kicked out of school. Oh, wow. Yeah, because... It was a mix of really like un- undiagnosed depression and anxiety, um, along with, uh, well, it was mainly, yeah, the undiagnosed depression and anxiety that led to me just kind of withdrawing away and not 
going to classes. Yeah. I should have just withdrawn from school yeah. for medical reasons. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you hit the end of that semester <laughs> and they uh, they kicked me out. Yeah? Yeah. So, that was kind of that wake-up call right. around, but I guess, 20 yeah. or so. That uh, was probably like the main turning point yeah. uh, in my youth. If you still count 20 as youth. I do. So that's very similar to my college experience where I uh, accept. It's weird. I think there was kind of a lack of that sort of academic structure for me as a child. Like I also got into, so they put me in what was called GT or gifted and talented in third grade after I scored high on some test. And I was the same as you. It was like, I don't really want to do this, and I'd rather play. And so this thing was, but it was different. It was like once a week on Fridays, we would, you know, we would leave our, I would leave my school and go to another school where all the other GT kids were. And Fridays was dodgeball day in PE class. So I was constantly missing dodgeball. And then I literally, so I quit. Like, I, I forgot how long I did it, a few months or a year. Then I quit, and they were asking me, the teachers asked me why I was quitting. And I was just like, I just, I'm not getting anything out of it. I don't really want to. But really, it's because like, I'm missing fucking dodgeball. I want to play. And so that's why I quit. Um, and my parents didn't really ask me about it. I just kind of, you know, I just kind of quit. Um, I did well in, in school, in high school. I, I was a fairly smart kid, so it's sort of minimal effort, and I just kind of did well. Um but there was no real pressure for my parents other than make good grades, which I did. Other than that, they're just kind of hands off. So I went into college with, you know, a lack of structure and I still didn't do well um, because the same thing I had undiagnosed depression, severe depression, didn't know what it was going on. Um, I withdrew uh, a semester or two. I just kind of had a withdrawal from classes a few semesters, I would just take one or two classes, and a couple of classes I failed. Um, it took me five and a half years to graduate, all because of undiagnosed depression. So it's a very similar story to yours. And I do want to take a point now to like, if anybody, if you have kids, or if you are a kid, or you're going to have kids in the future, talk about depression, especially around that age, because that's when it comes on for a lot of people. And I'm sure it ruins a lot of lives or it's it's puts a lot of undue suffering on people like Corey and myself uh, because we weren't diagnosed. I wasn't diagnosed till like I was 27 or something. Anyway, um, but everything's better now. We both have uh, made turns for the better. But uh, so that happened at age 20. You flunk out, you fail out of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what then, what did you do after that? Yeah, after that... Uh- I moved back up. Actually, I stayed down at U of I for <coughs> one more semester. I went to the community college there. Yeah, because it was around that time too that I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do mechanical engineering. Uh, I'd rather do something else. Um, so I was looking at doing like computer science or electrical engineering. Uh, a very similar roads to go down ultimately. Uh, so I was taking like some programming classes, uh, actually some like music classes and stuff too, because uh, that was what I enjoyed so much more than anything academic that I did was yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, and by that, I really mean listening to and like really getting into music um, and what goes into all of like the production of music and everything too. That said, I had zero aptitude for it because i never learned an instrument as a kid we were not a musical household in any way yeah, I, was just, I was gonna ask what was there any creative outlet for you at all during your pre-18 year old childhood <laughs> um i guess that depends on what you mean by creative outlet because there definitely was some pastimes that were the product of bored kids with uh with capable minds, I guess. Yeah. Where that led to some jackassery. Yeah. Um, all of it culminated in, well, yeah. My buddies and I, we would create our own fun and challenges, mm-hmm. essentially, uh, around life and learning <laughs> skills, which, as you can guess where I'm getting to, not necessarily legal stuff. Sure, sure, sure. sure. It, it actually all culminated in 
uh, I think my senior year, um, like waking up in the morning, like waking up to my mom barging into my room telling me that two of my friends got arrested and their mugshots were in the newspaper. Oh, nice. Yeah. And they, they ended up doing, one of them did like one month in jail that summer. The other did two. Um, they're both of them are doing great now. And it was, it was pretty harmless stuff that we're doing. We're, we were never vindictive or mean spirited with the kind of stuff we did. It was more of, I wonder if I could break into that school. Sure, sure. I wonder if I could, I just wonder if I could find a way in. So some some light um, larceny or breaking and entering, not so much any theater or art or musical instruments. Yeah, that's exactly. What I, that's what I'm getting. Okay. Uh, yeah, that that comes back to the street smarts. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. you're talking about. Sure. Okay. So then uh, you turn around in college, though, after you flunk out. Um, you finished graduating. Did you get uh, any like actual like medical help then? Um, went to, went to somebody for a little bit. Um, a therapist or yeah, okay. uh, a psychologist. Psychologist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ultimately, like he diagnosed me with dysthymia at the time. Which, if you're not familiar, it's um, it's kind of like a low grade depression. It's really characterized by a flat affect mm. where you don't feel highs and you don't feel lows. Yeah. It's kind of, they, it also gets, gets called like Eeyore syndrome. Everything's just gray <laughs> and kind of like not fun, just kind of a base level of misery. Sure. Um, but what I realized in retrospect was really that it was like medications that I was on at the time that was dulling all that. I had yeah. a doctor who prescribed me entirely too much Adderall. Mm. Uh, and that will mess with you a lot too. I was also drinking a lot at the time. Yeah. Um, so it's like all these things just like messed things up really bad. Uh, but then after I like managed to get my way through college, I didn't really see anybody again because I didn't really think I had those issues. Yeah. Um, which is kind of one of the big problems with having those types of issues is you are, so like self negative about it that you don't think that there is something wrong that needs attention. Sure. It's just how it is. Yeah. Um, eventually though, I mean, this wasn't until probably 25, 26 that I realized that I'd been having like frequent, like really frequent, really severe panic attacks, uh, that I'd still had pretty bad depression. Um, and it was at that point I started just looking into it myself about what's going on with all of this. Uh, I realized that panic attacks, at least the way that they're manifesting for me, it was like there'd be some situation that would trigger some like fight or flight adrenal response. Um, one time it was literally a door to door scam salesman effectively at work that was overly aggressive and we had to kick out. Uh, where for literally hours, like the rest of the day, basically, my stomach would be all messed up. My like heart still racing and just feel absolutely miserable. Yeah. And what I realized was um, my body did not seem to be releasing GABA, the neurotransmitter GABA. Uh, GABA is effectively the brake pedal in your nervous system. Mm-hmm. You have, you, especially like things like adrenaline, that's stomping on the accelerator. GABA stomping on the brakes. Yeah. So I was getting the accelerator stomped on. The brakes weren't kicking in. No, so, yo, GABA, GABA. Yeah, no, no GABA, GABA. So I was just in this like constantly like heightened state of just feeling dread, feeling like you're in this like life or death situation. Sure. So I started looking into kind of like supplementation around that, how to uh, increase like natural GABA production. I don't, I was trying to avoid taking something else that would act on those neurotransmitters or like artificially introduce those things because I knew I needed to get myself to a place that my body balanced itself back out. Uh, And that was helping a lot. And then what I finally realized was, Oh, alcohol affects the GABA transmitters. It works on those uh, neurotransmitter sites. So because I was drinking daily my body basically just wasn't producing GABA. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started cutting back drinking and eventually 
stop drinking because I needed to get my body to reset and balance itself back out. Because it's by far the most useful thing that I realized out of all the depression and anxiety is a lot of these feelings are from our bodies being chemical soups. Yeah. It's not something ethereal. It's not, it's not necessarily even a thought process that is what's creating the feeling in you. That is what the chemicals in your body are inducing in terms of those sensations and feelings. They play with thought processes where one will feed the other and you have those vicious spirals that create these scenarios, but you need to, you need to tackle both, Mm -hmm. get your body chemically back in balance and deal with the thought processes that are causing these issues. Yeah. So as I dealt with the chemical balance, then I also started doing things like meditation and just educating myself a lot more and understanding what was going on in myself. And by doing those things, I made just massive, massive improvements. And now at 31, I feel basically the best I have ever felt since I was a little kid. Yeah. You know, that's great, man. So what have you, besides cutting back drinking, which I think now you're completely sober, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to start drinking again, but I just wanted to, how long have you been sober? uh, 14 months. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I think you've in some ways inspired me to, I mean, there's lots of other stuff that went into that decision, but I've also haven't had a drink in, um, about eight months. Nice. Uh, thanks. So, but, uh, I know, yeah, a few people in our group are sober in that way. So that's cool. What have you done besides cutting back drinking to address the chemical imbalance bullshit inside your body? Yeah. Um, or was that, was that it to get the drinking? It, there's definitely supplementation around it that I did. Um, I kind of, I've kind of backed off that stuff more as I, because I think the alcohol had much greater impact on all of that. Um, but there's things like adding in L-theanine and uh, some other GABA precursors. Because the uh, my thought process behind it was, I want to give my body the ingredients that it needs for creating what it uses and having that kind of natural flow through. So that really helped. Um, but then get some more physical activity in sure, uh, and things like meditation and all of those, they obviously have that mind body connection that they feed into each other and responses feed into each other. Yeah. So that helped a lot. But then actually probably one of the, the biggest things that helped and uh, kind of part of why we're here was actually really improv too. Yeah. I made a huge, huge impact right. on how I felt mentally over yeah. the past year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get into improv, but that's, <laughs> that's such a fascinating thing about the mind body. Um, Cause I think you're right. Uh, in a lot of ways. And I mean, this is not a new thing, but I, I feel like we're kind of barely scratching the surface on what you consume, um, tr- alcohol, drugs, food, sugars, etc. cetera, uh, things that inflame, um, yeah. gut bacteria. Yep. Uh, this kind of stuff has a bigger impact on the mind and depression and anxiety and other mental illnesses that than previously thought. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of barely scratching the surface. I myself am sort of scratching that surface as well. I've cut back drinking, trying to get healthier for sure. But, uh, you know, um, been looking into like probiotics to address that kind of thing as recommend. So my, my therapist recommended that I visit viome.com, which is like basically you, you send in a little vial of your shit mm-hmm. and they analyze all of your flora and your gut flora and fauna to see if there's anything lacking or, and they send back a report and foods to avoid and superfoods, et cetera. I'm not sure how legit it is, but my therapist recommended it. So I did it because you know, those things can affect your mood. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, 
um, trying to exercise more meditation. I got, man, I, I need you to keep me accountable somehow because the easiest thing to do in the world and it's just, but also at the same time, the hardest thing to kind of keep consistent. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm really bad at it lately. Yeah. Uh, when I first got into it, I, I was got up to like 20 minutes every morning and I kept that going for a long time. But then once that habit breaks and you start putting it aside for other things, it's so hard to, to get back into it until you just tell yourself, all right, what am I actually going to do for the next 10 minutes? Yeah. Is it actually something useful or can I just stop and meditate for 10 minutes? Cause I know that will help me more than looking at my phone and getting pissed off at, you know, the news on Reddit. Yeah. Cause I mean, man, that'll stress you out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's, let's cut to somewhat present mm-hmm. and improv. What made you, what got you into improv, doing improv in San Diego? Yeah, that's a, a good question. My, thank you. I, <laughs> you. You bring a lot of those, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, it was something I was always interested in being from the Chicago area. Oh, I, yeah. I never, I never did improv there. Improv I never Mecca. saw improv there. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, it's so ironic that I move. <laughs> I, was, I was less than 30 miles away from all of those theaters. Yeah. And it wasn't until I moved out here that I started actually doing improv. Sure. But I was actually listening to lots of podcasts with like Chicago area improvisers on them. Like one of them was um, a podcast called One Shot RPG, mm-hmm. which kind of melded my love of like tabletop gaming, like, you know, D&D type pen and paper gaming and comedy. Mm-hmm. It's basically comedians playing these freeform open games yeah and it's incredibly entertaining yeah uh you know that along with like improv for humans and whatever else so it was always i always liked it i just watched whose line is it anyway growing up yeah snl you know all, all the comedy stuff that basically everybody in this community i think watched when they were young sure uh, but then after i moved out here uh this was actually really really shortly after i moved out here I had to go back to Chicago for like six, eight weeks in the middle of winter. And there was a, uh, a dog daycare boarding nearby. So when I go there to check the place out, it happened to be right next to Fina City Improv. They had the big improv arrow up there. Mm. And I happened to have parked in front of that. Mm. So I go check out the daycare and I come back and I kind of take a look around and grab one of the pamphlets. And I let that sit on my desk for two, three months. And I come back from Chicago again. I go, all right, I'm going to do one of the free Discover Improv classes. Of course, Kat was teaching that. And Kat's a fantastic gateway drug to, yeah. to improv. Um, I actually, you know, I was scared as hell going into that. And just an absolute wreck through the whole thing. But it was still fun and pushed me out of that comfort zone that I knew I needed to do. Uh-huh. So I immediately signed up for level one and then immediately had to start going back to Chicago and Pittsburgh very, very frequently for mm-hmm. work. So I had to drop from that level one. It wasn't until almost a full year later that uh, I told my, my employer, look, next three months, I am not doing any traveling. I'm staying in San Diego for the next three months. I signed up for level one again. Mm. And then from there, obviously, you know, we were in the same level one and we went all the way through level six and our illustrious graduation together. Yeah. Because at that point, especially after meeting the people in our class, after meeting you and the rest of the Terra Squad family now, right? Uh, It was immediately addictive and so great. And it was exactly what I needed when I needed because... I had been going, I'd been leaving San Diego so much after moving here. It didn't, I never really made inroads to feeling like I lived here. I had my buddy that I was still renting the room from. And I knew in about three months he was shipping out to Japan. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to be in San Diego and literally know nobody uh, (laughs) combined with my workaholic personality mm-hmm. this isn't going to end well yeah um so then finding that community through improv and all of these 
great people that are just genuinely good, smart, funny people that I enjoy being around. It's like, it, it was just serendipitous. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that it improv has been a thing that's helped your mental health and well-being. Speak to more of that. I mean, you kind of just mentioned it, but I, I think there's a few factors that really helped with everything. One was obviously having the friendship, having the companionship of everybody that, I mean, you know, like, you know, Terrace was basically like a second family. Now. Right. Um, so you have all of that, but then you also have things that directly hit kind of a couple of things I mentioned earlier. One is that like crippling fear of failure, like that fear of failure was so bad for me that trying to learn any new skill, like, like, Hey, I want to try drawing, try writing, try playing guitar, any instrument. And I'm immediately not good at it. Then it's like, Oh no, I, I got to put that away because mm-hmm. I'm not good at that. That's, that's horrible. So it's like that horrible fear of failure that puts so much pressure on yourself constantly. Uh, that fear of like looking like an idiot, all of those things, you get the most immersion and improv with that you're gonna you're gonna fail yeah you want to fail of course failure is fun (laughs) improv you make it fun so you reprogram that that horrible stressful instinct and it goes a long way but then there's there's a i guess well not necessarily softer things that's a fairly soft thing too in air quotes but things just like emotions where if you live by yourself and you're not going out much you're having you're just working in a technical job like engineering like that flat effect from earlier that persists and it's like that's not a healthy cathartic way to live doing scenes constantly of being like what does it mean to explore feeling happy feeling sad fear feeling these emotions that it really kind of trains them to come back up to the surface and be a human again, instead of a what I always used to jokingly refer to myself as like a robot. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many beautiful factors to it that go so far into helping recover, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess one of the other things too is uh, my horrible competitive nature, which still crops up. Sure. It's like you got to do something that, you got to let go of that competitiveness. Yeah. If you're hyper competitive and improv, who's going to want to play with you? Right. Yeah. Good point. Um, You've, and you're, this is, I'm assuming just a part of who you are, um, but you've really thrown yourself into improv (laughs) since, uh, since knowing you, you've taken probably more workshops than anybody that I know seems like every single workshop <laughs> <You're> all, <laughs> yeah, you know it like, you're like, yep. it's uh you're usually you're always spread thin no matter what uh yeah. just with your life in general but then uh, and also you're on yeah you're on a bunch of different teams which is not a bad thing because I'm on a bunch of different teams but uh but you're you're really you've you're 110 percent committed and for better or for worse um have you slowed down or are you still going strong with? Yeah, I'm, I'm finally cutting back. Yeah. Which is so needed yeah. right now. Uh, but you're, I mean, it is such a part of my personality of when there's something that I get into, I I go deep. Yeah. It's like consuming almost. Right. Um, and I definitely have been going through that with improv. And it just so happens that we're in a community that was at just the right time that's creating all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just had a hard time letting them pass by. Yeah. So yeah, I ended up doing entirely too much. Um, and I'm finally cutting back though. I actually, at the end of this month, I should just be on three teams and I've already left other ones. Sure. And uh, I'm not doing any more ongoing classes, just workshops yeah. trying to do fewer of those too because yeah. I need to get that balance back into life where it's like, okay, I've, I've broken through with this of, I know I want to keep doing it. 
I know I can keep doing it. Um, but now where, where's that balance in life? Where's that social work, fun, other hobbies balance that kind of makes you a more well-rounded, complete person because it's really boring to go hang out with people. And the only thing that you have in the, in the hopper to talk about is just improv. Sure. Like, Hey, what have you been doing lately? Well, I've been doing some workshops. Yeah. Then, uh, well, I have about six practices this week yeah. and, uh, well, then, then there's work. Yeah. That's my life. <laughs> Not only does uh, striking a balance between improv, other hobbies, life, relationships, friendships and work, I guess. Um, not only does it make you more complete person, it makes you a better improviser. Um, yeah. If, if you're in it too much, like, yeah, it's like you, you start to get a little bit of, uh, loss in the forest, loss in the weeds, um, paralysis by analysis, that kind of other, other, uh, cliches and metaphors. But yeah, you just got to have a, uh, more, you gotta, you gotta, breathe a little bit you know yeah you have to have you have to have experiences to draw from yeah to manifest out into a character into a scene you you have to consume other art in order to distill that into what you do or even if it's just referential things like if i'm going into a scene and somebody's pulling references about the latest movie that came out that's super popular and i'm the one there that doesn't know what it is it's like okay yeah (laughs) this is this is a different type of scene that we're gonna do now because i don't do anything except show up to the theater yeah yeah and not only that i feel like you just also need your mind needs uh your subconscious needs time to process that shit like for better for worse yeah, like that stuff needs to kind of swim around in your subconscious mind and really, you know, uh, grow roots into your head. You know, that if, if you're just constantly learning, like nothing's going to stick because it's just kind of like being shuffled through. Like, yeah, you need a little uh, space, time away from it. Let that stuff kind of settle in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get it. All right, man. So since you've taken so many workshops, you're like the workshop master, workshop expert. What's been the best quote unquote best workshop for you. What's been the one that you've gotten the most out of? That's a good question. Thank you. Um, I think probably one of my favorites was, um, Karen Gracchi's. Um, she actually had two and they were both incredibly useful. Yeah. One of them just being on, uh, like, um, one of the most useful things from it was just reacting, which was letting anything affect you. Mm-hmm. So it could be, say, a random word, and you respond with whatever your first noise is and build that noise out into uh, what emotion does that evoke, what posture does that evoke, all these things to find a character, find a starting point out of nothing, where so many times I... I come out, I'm completely blank. I got absolutely nothing because I am burnt out and my brain stopped working and I just need something to get me going to snowball and have something to, to rely on. But then the second workshop was on choosing confidence and she did the most incredible job of getting everybody in that room to be good to themselves and to really believe in themselves and where they want to go with things. And it was like really after that point that it, things kind of changed for me. Yeah. yeah. And both of those were through Cornerstone. Yeah. Which, I mean, basically everything that I've taken through them, I've been really happy with. Yeah. And really useful. Nice. So then let's move on. So we're just going to go, let's talk about your favorite improv stuff. So mm-hmm. Karen Grachi's workshop you really enjoyed. What do you have? Did you have a favorite uh, teacher? You know, levels one through six, or one that was um, near and dear to your heart for whatever reason. Um, let's see. Obviously, Gary Ware was fantastic. He was our level, level one, one and level three teacher, and it was really Gary and level one that he provided so much to all of us. I think, 
in terms of mindset and approach mm-hmm. to how play affects you in life and how improv can really be beneficial in your life that uh, it just made it set that foundation for the rest of that year to get as much out of it on like that personal internal level as possible. And then on the the technical side of things, um, I think Brandon was fantastic. Uh, That's as much part of kind of how the, the program is structured. And that at that point, that's when we're really starting to hammer on, technicals of things and good scene work and all of that. Um, but I also think he's just generally very knowledgeable and very committed to improv. Um, yeah, he, also, Brandon, he also can take a joke. Yeah. Cause I would shit on him frequently. <laughs> he's a guy, I think, I think he's sort of like you in the fact that I, I think he's, he loves improv and has done a lot of stuff. Like he's taken, classes at several theaters done several programs probably he's done dozens of workshops um so he's a great teacher and coach because yeah he's he's just like a textbook he's very knowledgeable a lot of great exercises a lot of great warm-ups that he has in his utility belt yeah it's like anytime i ask him a question anything that comes up like hey uh we're we're thinking about doing a vertical herald you know much about it i can't find anything online he's like yeah i got a bunch of notes on it oh i learned it from karen yeah i'm like it's just everything that comes up. If you ever talk to him about like the history of improv in San Diego, he's like an encyclopedia of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's so into it. And he's also, it's good for me talking with him because he'll caution me on those burnout sorts of things. Of He's like, yeah, I, I used to do the same thing of taking everything I possibly could yeah. until eventually it catches up with you. Yeah. You need to like balance it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been a really useful resource yeah. with all of that as well. Nice. All right. So who are your, a uh, couple of your favorite teams that you've seen? Oh boy. Um, I've only seen them once, but King 10 was obviously fantastic. Yeah. They from LA. Yeah. They really put into perspective what a good Herald can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something we don't really get in San Diego. We don't hit the Herald in the way that other markets do. Mm-hmm. We kind of hit it in a six session class. Yeah. And yeah, they, they really hammered home what a good herald can be to yeah. me and how loose and fun it can actually be and how you can play it without really seeing the form and it's something we don't really get in san diego because yeah. we don't teach the the herald as a multi you know as a six month thing like you would at uh, at like io or, or ucb where they really embrace the herald here it's almost like a, a passing thing it feels like there's no like long-term Herald teams that are around that you can see as a really good example of right. what this can be. So then a lot of people come out of class with the attitude of, you know, getting hit with their first really structured form and not liking it because you haven't done it long enough to actually not think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about any form while you're doing it, it's so much tougher to do well. Yeah, You have to, you have to let it just be in the back of your mind. It feels like to manifest out. And I say this as somebody who's only been doing this for a year and a half. So I'm sure more experienced people, even people like yourself are much more experienced than I am hearing and go take, take a umbrage with some of what I say, but I mean, this is just kind of my read on it at, at this point and, and everything. I take zero umbrage with what you're saying, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, so yeah, Kington was a, a fantastic example of that. A couple others that are to the San Diego San Diego community, no surprise, but Red Door and Jetso. Yeah. I absolutely love both of them. Um Jetso is on indefinite hiatus now, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. Um but that was just such a beautiful example of improv clowning. And the abstract freedom of it, where you'd watch a show that things would just morph 
into these different ideas, these bizarre things happening. And they'd be so connected to each other and to the audience where it's that, that feeling of like almost danger in the audience that, you know, you know, they know you're there and it draws you in that much more. Uh, But they're just, they're brilliant. And then red door, obviously they're just so enjoyable to watch how they, how they move through their different worlds so seamlessly. Their object work is just incredible. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, even just the amount of chaos that they're willing to throw at each other yeah. with the utmost confidence with each other that this is all going to work and we're going to get there. Yeah. They, they will take risks so hard and it always comes through in the end. And it's a fantastic thing to watch. They're amazing. Uh, an incredible duo. I've never seen Jetso, so I can't speak on them, unfortunately. But yeah, I've seen Red Door a few times, and they're always amazing. Did you see them at Impride? Yeah. So, yeah, what I really respect about them, other than their really good improv and really funny improv, is that they've really, and I'm sure they've made this uh, point, they, they've been deliberate and intentional about this, about being really physical mm-hmm. and like, throwing each other across the stage yeah, yeah. like one dude like lift the other dude up by his mm-hmm. neck and like then one scene and it was like oh man they're just so like they're almost like <laughs> improv athletes or like they're they really get into each other's bodies in a really fun way it's really cool to watch yeah it's incredible i was talking with with brandon about that and he told me well yeah they're they're stuntmen they're stuntmen yeah i was not well, aware at, at least i think justin is yeah um like they were doing like a Universal Studios or something like that, like those live stunt shows. No shit. They were doing that kind of stuff. So that's, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like the way that they would carry each other, like literally throw each other around yeah. and all the physicality of it. I was just blown away by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. So I was backstage while they were warming up. So I had my camera there. I asked Jesse if I could go and like take video and on and pictures and stuff. And I wanted to get some backstage stuff. So they were warming up and, uh, and I don't know if they would have done this had I not been there, but like one of the, um, who's the, the shaped head dude. Is that Justin? Uh, no, that's, no, that's, um, Ryan, Ryan. So Ryan was like standing with his like legs apart. And then Justin, um, appeared to, throw a nice front kick into his crotch and his mm-hmm. groin. It's like pop, like yeah. it made a big pop. And obviously like his foot's like hitting, I don't know, his taint or like yeah. the back. Or, but it, it, so he's not kicking his balls, but yeah. it sure looked like it did. Yeah. It's just like, they were just doing that, just fucking around. Oh my God. They're yeah. So crazy. And those two are like, they're always on. Yeah. Like we took a workshop or two with them. At yeah. SDIF. That's right. Uh, San Diego improv festival. Mm-hmm. I'll look it up. Um, and, even while they were teaching or between teach anything, they were just constantly on, constantly funny, yeah. and could blindside each other with something like doing the the blow dart gag yeah. without even looking at each other, okay. and they knew exactly what was happening, and then boom, hit it and sell it. Yeah, is they're just magnificent to watch, and really try to pick up any little thing you can from them and pull it in yeah they're good is what we're saying (laughs) so who are some of your favorite improvisers and or teams uh that are local san diego that you enjoy watching that inspire you and that you're impressed with etc sigh for my dog that's a that's a tough question because those are the only people who are possibly going to ever listen to this, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're definitely going to listen, but I assure you, I have hundreds of thousands of listeners around the globe. That must uh, be expensive. Well, not for me. <laughs> um, you know, I just put it out and they, they eat it up. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, like, to be perfectly honest, you're one of those people that I always enjoy watching. Stop it, Corey. Um, it's not uh, around. I wasn't fishing for that. No, I, I know you were. But I liked but what I yeah. caught. No. <laughs> but I, was, I actually um, I actually frequently cite this of, I feel so grateful and so lucky that you were in my level one class because you had good experience coming into it mm-hmm. and always being able to play with somebody like yourself who I enjoy watching, I have a lot of respect for, 
really helped me grow a lot too because that's that's how we learn right is learn by seeing and doing um and then you also had all the drive to like actually get us to form a team and and all that and keep things going so that was always fantastic yeah and then you know watching you form brown privilege and everything and pulling in so many fantastic improvisers in that as well you got like brandon and jen and all these like and julius all these fantastic improvisers yeah um like i mean seriously brandon julius randy joe seamus and nikki vanessa all these people like i'm missing so many people cat jesse like all these people that they're so consistently make me laugh or yeah. make me feel um in fact like one of the ones that i just we actually we actually both saw the other day uh randy and sergio mm-hmm. doing nes yeah like the range that those two can pull between just outright humor and grounded realistic life emotions and and letting that affect them and tackling some difficult subjects sometimes uh that's i remember like after one show i walked out of there and went i want i want to do that i want to (laughs) i want to do that i want that yeah um it was it was just a good example of what improv can be beyond making jokes about the audience yelling dildo. Yeah. Improv is very special and dare I say magical in that respect of it's there. It, it, the, the performers create this world, create this universe on stage for 22 to 45 minutes and it exists there and never again and never before that moment was it there and it's just so, I mean, yeah, just magical. I, I, that, I, that's why I love watching improv. That's why I love doing improv. Um, it's just this, and it, it it doesn't always hit, but when it does, it's just like, man, there's this almost static electricity type of thing in the air. And it's just like when you have this high energy for a show that you either see or you're part of, and it's just like, man, it's just like, boom. It's, it's explosive. It's great. I love it. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe, but yeah, it's well, a, it, and it's that it's those qualities to it too that make it so um, ethereal, ephemeral. What's the what's the word I'm looking for on that don't one? Don't ask me. Uh, ephemeral. Yeah, sure. We'll go with one of those. That it only exists in that moment, in that place where watching recorded improv. If you weren't there, yeah. especially if you weren't there yeah. originally it falls flat. Yeah. For it, sure. it always feels like it falls flat. Yeah. Um, and to that end, w- the way that I've started describing improv to people <laughs> who don't know what it is or really aren't familiar with it is like, it's like sharing a combined dream with everybody in the room where you're all in this together. You all have this, feeling together this energy together this enjoyment together this experience together but after it goes away it's kind of hard to remember mm-hmm. and if you want to tell somebody else about it nobody gives a shit yeah and it doesn't make any goddamn sense yeah because when you tell somebody any details of an improv scene that you saw uh like oh the red door yeah he uh he was a a dream doctor who was going into a dying boy's mind to find him in a corn maze where he tried to attack him with uh, with a knife, but it turned into a fish. And you just go, what the fuck are you talking about? This yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. But at the time, it's like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. I've often said it's yeah. it's like describing a dream. Yeah. Hey! Oh! It's Marty. No, I knew that it was, people were going to come, so yeah. it's all good. It's Marty Burtwell. Improv legend. Improv legend. Basketball legend. The Canadian Eagle himself. Canadian Eagle. Canadian Eagle. I don't know about that one. <laughs> How you doing, Marty? Oh, I'm standing. Really nice day. Okay, great. Marty Marty will be a future guest, uh, but for now, he's just a spectator yeah. and a fan. We're about to have a game night. That's why Marty's here. So as we wrap up, um, I mean, there's so much more I want to talk about. We've got, we've got to wrap up. I'll have you again on the, hey, you know on where the show. I live. Yeah, I know where you live. 
uh, first talk about, uh, is there anything about improv, the improv community that you don't like? You don't, you don't, I mean, if there's not, you don't have to talk about it, but if there's, is there anything that you wish were different? Is there any advice you would give to the improv community as like worldwide? Um, I'm sure they have a lot of the same problems, different theaters or, or whatever, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think one thing, uh, and this is something that I heard recently, I actually really heard this from Nick Armstrong on a podcast is around kind of for theaters in particular, let the shit go, let the, let the eco, the rivalries and all that shit go. And you're going to, everything's going to go so much better cooperatively working together to build a community and market in an area versus trying to go after each other in one defined area. It's like we have three theaters in San Diego, three main theaters in San Diego, all of which, well, I mean, I don't know what uh, NCT's capacity is, but like, Oh, take an FCI. I have capacity of like what? 50 people. Mm -hmm. How many millions? are in san diego mm -hmm. it's not like we're saturating the market yeah. and pulling in the only people who are possibly going to get involved in improv yeah care. it's like by working together you get more interest and more understanding of what it is and more people will get to enjoy this and we'll all get to have more friends and more fun together so I know there's the business aspect of things and everybody needs to try to protect their business so they can stay in business. But I don't think that has to be in direct conflict with still being friendly and on good terms with your neighbor. That's doing the same fun thing. You are sure. That was beautiful. Thank you very much, Corey. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, sir. Uh, thank you, Marty B., for, for dropping in late. Marty, who is your favorite improviser in San Diego? Ew, man. That's like, I'd go with Amber Sargent. Ooh, that's a good answer. Sargent? Is it Sargent? Or is it Largent? Largent? At least on the Facebook. Right? Oh, well, I don't like Largent. No, no. no. Uh, Amber, uh, Sar Amber, Amber Sargent. Amber. Yeah. 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 <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank, thank you so much you, for listening. Yes, and, thank you. This uh, is a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have to do it again. We will. Till next time. Bye.